Good morning, everybody. Will you pray with me? Fathers, we turn our attention to your word. We ask most sincerely for your help. God, we want to trust you in the fullest respect. We want to rely on your grace that you give in Christ. And we want to experience the joy of what that freedom from that from deriving from your grace gives us. And so help us today to see and to know and to feel that we may continue to grow in love. Amen. For freedom, Christ has set you free. What an incredible statement. And that idea has been one of the reoccurring or main themes of this letter to the Galatians. For freedom, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Or another way to put that is that Jesus has freed you. So be free. Freedom. What does that mean to be free? In our country, the idea of freedom goes all the way back to our roots, doesn't it? Freedom is lauded as one of the highest American priorities. Freedom is considered to be a right for us that is exhibited in a variety of ways. The freedom of speech, the freedom of expression, the freedom to pursue what we want to pursue. And most of the time when we think about freedom, we're actually thinking about personal freedom. Sociologist Robert Bella has concluded that when thinking about the American conscience, he says that freedom is perhaps the most resonant, deeply held American value. Yet freedom turns out to mean being left alone by others, not having other people's values, ideas, styles, or life forced upon me, being free of arbitrary authority in work, family, and political life. In other words, what Americans really want is the freedom to be left alone. (laughs) And if that's true, if our self-centered view of freedom is one that says, I get to order my world and my interactions any way I want to order them, then it becomes a little difficult to see how the American mind wraps its mind around this great importance of freedom that the book of Galatians is presenting to us. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is fundamentally a message of freedom. At its very core, if you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, he liberates you from slavery. If you have not put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you remain a slave in those sins. That's the message we've been hearing over and over again, is that through Christ, you're free. (laughs) 
And the question before the Galatians, and the question before you, is this. If I am now free because of what Jesus has done, how do I live in this God-given freedom and enjoy it for the rest of my life? Because there are two dangers that lie before the Christian and this freedom. The two dangers are found in losing that freedom and abusing that freedom. And these are the two dangers that Paul addresses in Galatians chapter 5. And so look at the first one with me. Danger number one is losing your freedom. And Paul is saying, in a sense, that you can't have it both ways. You can't go about living your life as if your good deeds keeps or keeping the rules or engaging in the works of the law, as he says to the Galatians, that these things will commend you to God and at the same time receive the grace from God that he gives through Jesus. You can't have it both ways. You get one or you get the other. And so he says to them in verse 1, stand firm in this freedom. And the fact that he tells them and us to stand firm clearly implies that there's a great temptation to give up on the freedom that Jesus has given us. And it's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting when you really start to unravel that fact. That something so glorious... (laughs) Something so generous, something so life-changing as freedom, and we're tempted to give it up. We're tempted to give it up because we think that we can have it both ways, and the flesh is constantly pulling us back into that dynamic. It's like the guy who marries the love of his life and then sometimes into his marriage risks it all for an affair. Or the child that finally gets that gift they've been waiting for on Christmas. My wife made the mistake of putting presents under the tree already. And every day they go and they shake them and they move them and they line them up and they change the position of them. And every day they try to peel back just one piece of tape because they are waiting for something. And it's like the child who waits day in and day out for that Christmas gift that they've been longing for and then on Christmas Day they play with it and they even go outside and they play with it and then as the sun starts to go down they go back inside to warm up but they leave the toy outside <laughs> to be buried in the Christmas snow. It's hard to believe but it's true. Something tugs at us and tempts us to give up on the freedom that we have in Christ. The very thing we've been longing for. And so what does that look like? Well, Paul says in verse 2, he says, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Remember, the Judaizers were asserting this idea that you had to become a Jew to follow God. 
and for that you would be commended to God if you followed the Jewish law and put your faith in Jesus. And these two things together would be the way that you were part of God's family. You would have his favor. And this was shown physically in the act of circumcision. And so he says, if you accept circumcision, if you accept this as the way forward, then Christ would be no advantage to you. But we could substitute anything, really, in that little space right there. Any activity or deed that you think will commend you to God, that will earn you God's favor, or that will save you. If you accept blank. (laughs) Then Christ will be of no advantage to you. And this is what we do. When we think that the right type of serving God will make him more happy with us. This is what we do. When we think our, that if our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds, then God will find us acceptable to him. This is what we do. When we think that we need to repay God for the grace that he has given us in Jesus. And that in some ways is a noble and a good feeling. God has been incredibly generous to you. Shouldn't you in turn be incredibly generous to him to show back, to repay him of what he's done. The other day, a friend of mine gave me a gift. And I felt that this gift was generous and he's my good friend. And so the very next opportunity I had, I sought to reciprocate. And he immediately scolded me. Don't you understand the nature of a gift? He said. You don't try to pay someone back for a gift. It robs the meaning of the gift and the intention of the giver. And the same is true for God. He says that if you try to work, if you try to earn, or if you try to repay, the gift of Christ becomes as if it's useless to you. And so verse 3 says that if you live like this, you're obligated. You're obligated to keep the whole law because you don't get to have it both ways. (laughs) It's not work harder and be better so that I'm commended to God and receive the full grace that I don't deserve in Jesus Christ. You don't get to have it both ways. If you want to have it this way over here where you commend yourself to God on your own deeds, then you have to do it all. You have to keep the whole law, not just the ones that you want, not just the ones that become easy to you, but the whole thing. You either get all the grace of Jesus or you get none of it. And we see it again and again that our justification by works is this attempt that we constantly try to do at self-salvation. But no matter how much you strive, it's never enough. If you live like this, Paul says, verse 4, you've fallen away from grace. (laughs) You know, one of my favorite descriptions of freedom is that true freedom occurs when you have nothing to prove. Just think about that for a minute. 
true freedom occurs in your mind, in your life, true freedom occurs when you have nothing to prove. I don't think it's a perfect description, but it's so true in many ways. You can have a really healthy, vibrant freedom in your job. Freedom to exercise your mind and creativity in your work. Freedom to press hard into some areas at some times and lay back in other areas at other times. You can have that type of encouraging, almost life-giving freedom in your job if you don't have to constantly prove yourself to your boss. (laughs) But the minute you do, there's all kinds of constraint. You can have true freedom to be yourself in your marriage when you trust that your spouse loves you unconditionally. A lack of performance in your relationship or the compelled performance means a wonderful liberty in that relationship. And in the same way, you have a wonderful freedom with God because of grace. Because of grace, you don't need to earn favor. Because of grace, you don't need to prove anything to God. Because of grace, no good deed will commend you to God and no bad deed will condemn you before God. Because of grace, true freedom occurs because you no longer have anything to prove to him. Jesus has proved it on your behalf. That is the power of grace. And so Paul says, don't lose it. (laughs) Instead, instead, look at verse 5. He says, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith through working in love. And we make just two quick comments. First, notice the role of the Spirit, verse 5, through the Spirit, by faith, the Spirit which keeps us. Faith, of course, is not just a one-time decision for Jesus. It's an ongoing, abiding trust and a disposition toward the work of Jesus that is applied to you. And this faith comes along with a hope of righteousness. The hope that he's talking about here is not the sort of way that we use hope where we say, oh, well, I, I, I hope that my particular football team wins today, but I'm not really sure. Hope here is a military term. It's a term that has this connotation of resolve, of confidence, of powerful assurance, of togetherness that happens in the Christian community. Christian, you can have complete confidence, complete confidence that God will perfect you someday. You can have complete confidence through faith in Jesus that you will be saved even if you don't prove yourself before him. Now, some of us struggle with the idea of assurance. Can I really be assured that I'm saved? I don't feel that assurance in my life, you might say. Well, a captain never anchors his ship 
by fastening the anchor to the inside of the ship. (laughs) It's always on the outside. The Christian is not saved because he feels secure within himself or believes that he can somehow do it and hold out all the way to the end, but rather because he's trusting in another, something outside of himself. He's trusting in the Lord Jesus. How can you know for sure if you're saved? Trust the Lord Jesus in faith, and then his spirit keeps you there throughout the rest of your days. Secondly, did you see the end of verse 6? Look at it with me. Faith working through love is what counts. Not your good deeds or your bad deeds, but faith. And this faith, we've talked about it again and again and again in Galatians, but it results in something. It works its way out in love. It's not too bold of a claim to say that your Christian life will be marked by a growing love. Some of us were rather cold (laughs) before we knew Jesus. Some of us rather selfish, and maybe we still struggle with that selfishness. Some of us didn't come from a loving background. Love wasn't modeled to us on the regular Some of us were generally nice people, kind people, but lacked a depth of love. But faith produces something in you. You will grow in love if you're a Christian. A love for God and a love for other people. And because the work of the Spirit, love This love is generated from God. It's worked out through us. It's displayed back to God and back to another. So it's this sort of, like it comes in from God externally. It works around in here for a while and it comes out and is shown externally again. Through faith in Jesus, God actually changes your desires. We not only begin to love, but we actually want to love. (laughs) And so let's try to connect that idea to freedom because I think that's what Paul is doing here. And it's, it's part of freedom to have the ability and the opportunity to do what we want to do, right? That's what we say. Freedom is the ability and the opportunity to do what we want to do without the fear of regretting it somewhere down the line. And surely, wanting to love God and love other people, and doing these things, having the opportunity and the ability to carry them out, then becomes one of the greatest expressions of freedom in the life of the Christian. God has changed your desire. You want to love, and now you have the ability and the opportunity to engage in the very love that he is compelling you, and that you want to do, and the freedom to do it. And so Paul says, stay in that freedom. Abiding in faith ensures that you don't lose your freedom. And that leads to the second temptation, the second danger. The second 
temptation is not to lose your freedom, but the second temptation is to abuse your freedom. And so we might say that the main thrust of what Paul's trying to get at is this. Abiding in faith is the way to neither lose your freedom nor abuse your freedom. (laughs) Abiding in faith allows you not to lose it or abuse it. Throughout the book, we've seen this danger of legalism, right? And I have to tell you, it's been so interesting and encouraging to hear from so many of you of your own background uh, in legalistic homes or legalistic churches or your own frame of mind that says, my whole understanding of God was informed by the rights and the wrongs, the do's and the don'ts, the external actions that people can see rather than the internal motivations of my heart. And now for the very first time, I'm starting to see this incredible Um, incredible, pervasive dynamic of grace. And how the more I think about grace, the more I see that it really permeates every single aspect of my relationship with God and it it informs what I do and don't do. That I don't have all this incredible pressure around legalism. That's one side. But the other side, the other danger, is the danger of license. Some will hear that God gives freedom, and they immediately say to themselves, that is wonderful. Now I can finally do whatever I want, whenever I want, and however I want. And not think so much about whether or not I'll regret it later. Because God forgives. That's what God does. Right? And that becomes an abuse of freedom. A friend of mine was involved in training military officers, Iraqi military officers, as part of the United States effort after the fall of Saddam Hussein. And at that time, the United States would fly certain officers from Iraq back to the States for training. And these men came from a country with a fairly strict external moral code, a set of laws, if you will, how you were looked at and what your reputation was in the community was very important. And what struck my friend again and again and again was how when these Middle Eastern officers got to the United States, they had this overwhelming sense of freedom. They had nothing to prove to anybody because nobody was really watching, (laughs) And so, the first thing that many would do would be to find a place to buy booze. And the second thing that many would do would be to find a place to gamble. And the third thing that many would do would be to find a place to engage in their sexual pleasure. They had a newfound freedom and almost immediately abused that freedom on their arrival. The college kid goes away from home for the very first time. What is the first thing that she does now that she is not under the roof of mom and dad and the curfew is lifted? She stays up half the night for the whole first month of school to do things fun with her friends to explore and engage or 
even to abuse her newfound freedom. The Christian is tempted, similarly, when he experiences the wonderful release of pressure that is found in the reality that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Freedom! Nothing is going to separate you from him. Your moral effort or your moral failures, neither one of them count toward your salvation at all. Only grace. But because we have nothing to prove, it becomes tempting to abuse our freedom. And so Paul warns. Look at verse 13. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul is saying, if you want to please God, the way to please God is through faith. Faith is not an action. It relies on the action of another, of Jesus. This faith justifies you, as we've talked about again and again, but it also fuels love, verse 6. And now in verse 14, this love fulfills the law, and thus you become pleasing to God, if it is fulfilled perfectly. God gives faith. He gives you love by the Spirit, and thus he receives glory through you because of his work. And so abiding in faith, abiding in faith is the way to neither lose nor abuse your freedom. And I love the idea that our freedom can be used, and we're encouraged to use our freedom to serve one another in love. That sounds for some of us, maybe really cliche. For others of us, it sounds like a glorious endeavor to give your life to Jesus. (laughs) To devote yourself to other people, to loving one another. And we think to ourselves, some of us, God, I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to give everything to you. Do whatever you need me to do. Send me to the farthest mission field out in the middle of the bush. I'll be a martyr for you. I will, I will come in in a, in a streak, in a flash, and I will go out in a blaze of glory if I need to. We think that the Christian life maybe is like taking a $20,000 bill, if there was such a thing, and laying it down on the table and saying, here's all of me. God. Here's my whole life. Take it all. But in reality, giving your life, giving yourself to God in faith and using your freedom to serve others in love is much more like taking that $20,000 bill and cashing it into a really big pile of quarters. And over the course of the long haul, making repeated withdrawals in which you give your life away 
for God and to others in love. And so you make a meal for a family in your church because mom has been sick for a couple of days. 25 cents. <laughs> you continue to teach Sunday school even though your own kids are not long out of the house. <laughs> There's two quarters. You go to the nursing home and visit and encourage one of the senior saints of the Lord who is lonely as she gets closer to going home to heaven. There's a quarter. Week after week, you look out around this room or toward the lobby or in the coffee room and you make it a point to encourage somebody and to make somebody you don't know feel welcome so nobody is left on the fringe. There's a quarter. <laughs> you keep singing that song on Sunday even though you think it's too loud and you don't like the tune. Maybe that one's worth 75 cents. You have people in your home for dinner for the sake of Christian fellowship. Even though you've worked all week and you're tired and the cleanliness of your house is barely passable. Quarter. You pray every day for your neighbor that God might save them. Quarter. You see, the Christian life usually isn't all that externally glorious. It's giving yourself away in love 25 cents at a time. It would be easier to go out in a blaze of glory, I think. <laughs> but I think that it's probably harder to live and to love little by little over the course of decades. So Paul says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. And so what are you going to do differently in response to that verse? <laughs> Abiding in faith is a way to neither lose nor abuse your freedom. Grace, which is accessed by faith, which produces love by the power of the Spirit and gives ongoing freedom, results in you giving your life away 25 cents at a time. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And so don't go back. Let's pray together. Father, we glory in you.
many of us are cut to the heart as we consider our own self-centeredness and how we abuse the freedom you give. And we most sincerely ask today that you would produce in us this even greater love because of this freedom. Thank you for Jesus and the freedom that we have. Amen.